The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Uh, whatever form that takes, it's something to think about. Well, we don't want to get into the, uh, our uh, discussion about the you know merits of standardized education or anything like that. I'm sure, but oh, I do. Welcome, everybody, to the Legendarium Podcast, episode number 187, The Wise Man's Fear, part two. Well, over there, he tried to perform Thousand Hands, but it turned out he was all thumbs. It's Ken Johnson. Uh, whatever, the world is more interesting with me in it. You can't pre-prepare your comebacks, because they make no sense. Okay, moving no, on. it's more... It- if this panel were the Chandrian, he would undoubtedly be Haliax, but only because I imagine Haliax also farts all the time. It's Kyle Lemon. I think Haliax is going to be my new R&B like, pseudonym, kind of like Duke Silver. <laughs> Haliax. All right. <laughs> and his eyes are darker than cinders, and his body is curvier than Felurian's. It's Ryan Bruckman. It's just because I was up till 4 a.m. <laughs> what? Dancing. Oh, your eyes darker. Okay. Dancing I was I was going with the Felurian thing. I don't know. No, that's that's just dad bod, and that's hot. No, okay. That's cool. <laughs> All right. And I am your host, Craig Hanks, and I'd like to remind you that past episodes of The Legendarium can be found at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Please support the show at patreon.com slash legendarium and join the conversation at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Lastly, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever fi- fine podcasts are found. Tell your friend, tell tell your friends, tell your friends, tell your friends, your and friends. leave. You a- would think by one eighty seven we'd be pretty solid on the uh, the opening so. sales, but <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get there. And and please leave a review, everyone. Uh, we have gotten some good ones. We're actually really close to hundred reviews on iTunes. Uh, so here's the last push. Everybody go review us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. And I do uh, read all of those reviews. And to all of you leaving four-star reviews, how dare you? How dare you? Four-star review. Five or nothing. Oh, uh, shit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh... <laughs> so... Uh, I, okay, here's Only the thing. Only a Sith deals in such absolutes. <laughs> absolutes, exactly. That's fine. I prefer the Sith. Um, now my mind is fried and and as is my body. So we'll see this episode could deteriorate rapidly. Uh, Now that I say that, I'm kind of hoping that it does. Uh, but I, it assumes it has to start at a high level too. That's true. And is, would you say that this, uh, this episode could corrupt? It's (laughs) (laughs) middle finger. It's been flown. Yeah, it's it's the flags a, have flown early. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I fixed up my bike yesterday, finally. and It's kind of late in the season, but I did my first ride today. And in, in 85 degree weather, I rode 20 miles for my first ride of the season. That probably wasn't too wise. That was, so That was well thought out. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty wasted. So as I search for words while we're talking, you'll know that it's because uh, I'm pretty freaking tired. Uh, but today we're talking about the wise man's fear episode two. Um, 
this is up through chapter about chapter 104 105 106 something uh essentially so here's the recap uh for those of you who want to be reminded or want to know kind of what we're talking about today um so quoth is with mayor alvaron uh, he also hooks up with denna because she shows up everywhere because story taviren quoth and denna get in a fight and they'll probably never talk again and we all i'm sure we all cried many many tears over that quoth does so well at hooking up mayor alvaron with his new lackless lady love that alvaron sends him on a wild bandit chase in the woods to kind of get rid of him uh, it turns out the bandits were being led by Cinder because he has nothing better to do, I guess. Uh, this episode <laughs> takes up a lot of time. Quoth finds Felurian, the fake creature who is so sexy, she drives all men crazy with the power of her sweet, sweet loving. All men except Quoth, of course, because there's still some book to go by the time he leaves her. Uh, and Quoth is so good now at having sex that the local village girl who spurned him earlier can tell just by looking at him that he'd be, he'd be a fantastic lay. So they fornicate a bunch. Then Quoth heads off toward Edemre, and that's it. So that's where we're at. Um, all right. All right. In case anybody's wondering. So, all right. There's. This is going to be an interesting episode because uh, we're finally out of the university. Finally, finally. Uh, we've been talking about this day for a long time, and we're finally here. We're out of the university. Ken, are you enjoying being out in the world? We, we couldn't be happier to be away from school. It's it's going to be a good break, I have a feeling. <laughs> uh, so, Kyle, what about you? Is this, uh, is this picking up for you, or do you miss the university life? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I, I really like the, the whole story with Mira Alvaron, and I like what's going on outside of the university, but... When we actually left, I was a little bit upset because things were actually getting interesting at the university. I was really intrigued by the uh, puppet character. So you've got this namer that lives underneath mm-hmm. the archives, and mm-hmm. we get this whole new oh, yeah. guy that come, shows up, and we're like, oh, what's going on? And then uh, Master Loden starts to actually do something like useful. <laughs> uh, I mean, not he? that he's not doing that beforehand, but like very in your face useful. pointedly yeah. useful yeah and so as soon as those two things happen and and you feel like oh we're gonna finally find out what the hell naming is all about because we've got this other namer and master Loden and quote's gonna figure it out no, no. and then we you know twi- tuition gets too we high. got too close to plot line yeah, and yeah financial aid office tells quote he can't have his money or whatever and there, there he goes right so there yeah. you go so yeah, but I'm really liking the uh, the world building and seeing stuff beyond the university. I like that there's a lot of superstition around. You finally get to see firsthand the superstition around uh, sympathy and and arcane magic that is in the world because it, they mention it all the time while he's in the university. But that's a different uh, vibe there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in this section, we finally actually see a very very dark use of sympathy and, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. all that so which one? Oh, with uh both and with the bandits. blasting the tree and the bandits and oh right that's yeah. true yeah he gets to go all uh what's the name of the the guy he keeps comparing himself to tablin the, the, the great gets to go all tablin the great yeah. on us so that yeah we'll, we'll get there yeah i, I wanted to run this by you though ryan maybe i can get your thoughts on this there's a moment in there's an interlude right before he leaves the university when quoth 
says uh, to Chronicler and Bast, he says, I've probably kept us at the university too long anyway, and we should move on to some other stuff. And I wondered if this was potentially Rothfuss through coat admitting a, uh, I don't know if I would want to call it a mistake, but maybe just a, a mild misstep on his part in keeping us at the university too long. I... Uh, acknowledgement of fault maybe yeah. maybe i don't even know that it's i don't even know that he's acknowledging it as fault as he's using using it as a tool to build rapport with his reader like strategically because he's be. like i know that this is something that you're probably thinking so i'm just going to come out and say it mm-hmm. but i don't think rothfuss doesn't seem like the guy that would admit fault mm-hmm. whether it's through a, <laughs> through a character or otherwise maybe not and so i, I think i think that it's a strategic move to say yeah this is probably feedback he's heard um because it's his book two, so he's probably heard it from the release of book one, and he's probably just using it to build that rapport so that the reader's like, yeah, I do feel like that. Let's move on. You know what I mean? Well, and if anything, it doesn't feel like something that he had to change to to make it so that we left the university. It feels like It feels like this was part of the story all along, and now he's just kind of acknowledging the negative feedback that he got. That might be added, but it feels like this is where the story was going all along. And if it wasn't, if he actually changed stuff, well, good for him for actually, you know, making it work a little bit. Yeah. The thing that this that this makes me think is that as I thought more and more about this idea that we've stayed at the university too long and what does the university represent, uh, it makes me think that the Kingkiller Chronicles are kind of uh, on a continuum of fantasy books or fantasy stories. This is kind of advanced level stuff. And here's what I mean by that. In most fantasy stories, you've got a home base of some sort. You've got the Shire or Shady Vale or Emmons Field or the Dursleys or whatever. You've got a home base, and this is something that is ostensibly foreign to the reader, but it is immediately familiar. And the universe, or sorry, the universe, the university is what serves that function for the Kingkiller Chronicles. But Here's the thing. You've got this oasis of the Enlightenment. It's this thing that's immediately familiar to a modern reader, uh, just in terms of, yeah, you. I mean, you made a joke earlier, but you've got tuition, and you're at school, and you go to mm-hmm. classes, and you're it's a place of of higher education. It's, it's very familiar to us. Um, but we're, we're meant to leave that home base in our fantasy stories pretty soon mm-hmm. in the beginning. We we leave it and we go on these adventures. Now, now we're in those adventures, but we're halfway through book two before that really kicks in. Um, Knowing that there's only three books. Right. There's that. Yeah. But then here's the, the, the reason I say that this may be kind of advanced uh, fantasy that you wouldn't hand this to somebody who was brand new to the genre and say, read this, you'll love it. You'll love everything about it. And, And that's because the the things that act more like a home base in this story uh, are the things that start the story. You've got Coates Inn and Quoth's Troop. Um, and these are your home bases. These are the things that you have to leave behind and, and go on the journey, right? And for us, I mean, we're experienced fantasy readers. These things are instantly recognizable and very homey to us. You have the traveling troop. Um, this appears all the time in fantasy stories and the inn especially oh my gosh like there's every fantasy story has an inn and an innkeeper you know all the time Uh, so for us it's it feels the way 
that a regular home base would feel to other readers, like the way that the Shire would feel to people, right? For us, the inn can serve that purpose. But I'm not, I, I'm wondering if uh, this wouldn't be the best thing to hand to somebody who's brand new to the genre because they would read this and be like, they wouldn't have anything to grasp onto. What is this traveling music troupe? What is this doesn't make any sense. I like the inn. What's an what is an inn? Why is he serving beer at an inn? I thought that was like a hotel. I think it depends on what your goal is by handing it to somebody who's new to fantasy. So are you wanting them to get into fantasy or are you wanting them to get into the King Killer Chronicle story? You know what I mean? So well, like, the, my point is they may not be able to get into the King Killer Chronicle story because they get they're they're thrown into the deep end right away. There's no unless they live uh, under a rock. The those basic some of those basic things are existent enough in other forms of media. Unless this person never watches movies, never does anything. I mean, there's enough of a connection there that I think that they can make those. I don't think anyone's going to come in that far out of unless they've been stranded on a desert island or living under a rock or something. But I, I, I get the sentiment that like this is the recognizable tropes that we're aware of make this easier for us and more able for us to connect as those who are already engaged in it versus new. But I I wouldn't say that this is so far out of whack that somebody still new to fantasy couldn't still identify those and be a, and let them affect them. Uh, I mean, obviously it depends on the reader, you know, uh, but I think you might be overestimating people's exposure to this sort of thing. I think you're. Uh, I well, think you're overestimating the importance of ne I, needing to know all the tropes. Ooh. I think that, yeah, I don't think you need to know all the tropes to be able to get into the characters' heads. This is a character story for sure, and so if you want to be able to know the larger scale of the world, yeah. But I think for this, especially for this story, you don't need to know that there's traveling troops and the way that generally traveling troops work in fantasy, and you don't need to know that there's innkeepers and this is how it is. You need to know Quoth's character and any other character that is center to the story. And I don't think that it's that important uh, to have that broader fantasy genre scope because you're going to get that through whatever Quoth's character perceives those as. Maybe. I, you, you may be right. Mm. Okay. All done. <laughs> Moving on. What do you guys want to talk about? Don't everybody jump at once. <laughs> <laughs> He's gotten saltier. He's salty. Go on. He's the salty right go now. On. The I wanted to make I not to rehash this point, but I actually think that Quoth's home base is his loot. Um because it always comes back to that with him. Um that's where he's and so especially as we get into him leaving the university like, what does he take with him when he goes? Like, a loot. That's that's. <laughs> thank you, thank you for engaging in the conversation. <laughs> right, I just don't. I just don't think that's a very good uh, base. It's it. I I don't know. I guess I and here's the thing: is it sounds like I'm complaining, and I'm not. I'm complaining that you guys don't seem to be understanding me. And no, we fine. just disagree just, with you. I think we understand just what you're saying. We just necessarily that critical. Okay. All right. All right. I guess uh, I, like I said, I'm not complaining per se. I'm just uh, 
I'm just pointing out that this is very different from sure. most fantasy in that way. It is. Yeah, um, I agree. A lot of a lot of fantasy would probably fall into this sort of advanced uh category now. I mean, we've read a lot of Sanderson and it makes sense to us to just say, okay, I'm going to give the author 200 pages to make sense of the line Kelsier burned tin in right. the in the prologue like mm-hmm. okay that made no sense but to a brand new to fantasy reader when they read something like that or when they're reading about uh like quotes uh, experience with the chandrian or something like that i think a lot of people would just check out at that point and be like nah this is too weird for me <laughs> i don't recognize anything that's going on I, I can't relate to anything that's going on um and so i'm out so that's all that's all okay Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. <laughs> you sound like you need to be at the university. Cheer up, emo kid. <laughs> uh, all right, Kyle, go on with your bad self. Uh, what do you guys want to talk about? Oh, <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> question. I am I, wanna, I gonna carry this? Whole no, thing? I'll talk about something. All right, go ahead. Uh, you and I were talking about on one of our drives home. By the way, check us out on Instagram. We've got some sweet, uh, <laughs> sweet karaoke going on. Yeah, somebody somebody pointed out. Um, I I didn't even mention Instagram at the top of the show. You can find us on Instagram. I make fun of our presence on Instagram, and somebody <laughs> finally pointed out, like, for somebody who doesn't know why you're on Instagram, you seem to be enjoying yourselves a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, touche, sir. But so anyway, you you and I were talking about uh, the switch from the university, and now he's with Mayor Alvaron. And I was saying that I, w- I didn't really love, I don't love the political intrigue in a lot of epic oh, fantasy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's not my favorite thing. Uh, so, you know, they were diving into the whole... You mean the uh, you mean the succession crisis in... In uh, Camelin? In Camelin? Yeah, wasn't... that was riveting. <laughs> Elaine takes a bath for five books and <laughs> and something happens. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm don't, I don't get super into the political intrigue stuff. It's fine, but I don't, it's not my favorite part. And so... When he takes all of this time to set up the university and there's all this stuff going on and we're getting really familiar with that. And then, like I said, I really like the puppet character or puppet or whatever. I don't know. And uh, we jump out of that and we're immediately with Mary Alvaron and Quoth is found. He finds himself in the middle of getting all these rings and he doesn't know what they mean at first. And he has uh, what's the dude that comes and plays chess with him? Uh, I know I it's not chess, but it's chess. Yeah. It's it's epic nerd fantasy chess is what it is. So <laughs> it starts with it. I don't I don't remember Anyways, his name. It doesn't matter. Uh, that noble comes and he's basically explaining to the reader and to Kvothe how these rings how work. work. Sure, and that's great. Uh, but the you know the further along we get, the more intricate it is. Where you've got brass rings and silver rings and gold rings, and they mean different things. And so throughout the whole process, Kvothe is saving Mayor Alvaron from being poisoned by uh, his arcanist and his butler or whatever doesn't like Quoth because he thinks that something's going on. Anyways, long story short, all that goes through. Quoth saves the mayor's life and Stapes, the butler, is like, Quoth, I owe you a great deal. And he expresses this by giving him a ring of bone, right? Um, which I thought was interesting because it's one of the rings that's mentioned earlier on when yeah. they talk about Quoth yeah. and he's got all these rings and we saw a ring a little bit earlier during Aloden's class when, uh, is it fella that speaks the name of stone or name of yes. Oh, that's right. And she, and creates, she a ring. creates a ring. Yeah. And so the rings are symbolic of their mastery of naming 
but I also thought it was really interesting that one of the rings mentioned was the ring of bone and, and this could be something, we don't know that it is this ring, but it could be that same ring of bone that quotes is, that gets mentioned all the time. So rings can mean something for naming. So wait, they can where, mean something for political reasons. Where else is the ring of bone mentioned? So I think it's when it's, I think it's in the frame story when they're talking about all the rings that quote the great, when they're, you know, talking about how he's got all these powers and he's got a ring that's made of or air, a ring that's made of stone, a ring that's made of, you know, there's like 10 of them. On his first hand, he wore rings of stone, iron, amber, wood, and bone. There were rings unseen on his second hand. One was blood in a flowing band. One of air all whisper thin. And uh, that's... Yeah. <laughs> now I'm reading a paragraph. <laughs> Anyways, so all those rings with that, that are mentioned earlier on, I thought it was interesting that we see how a ring gets created when Fella speaks the name of stone or whatever it was. Right. Fire. I think it was stone. stone. And then we see this ring of bone that's also handed out. And so... Is that one and the same? Is you know because rings mean something in in Ventus for political reasons? Is that coming from naming? You know, I don't know. I just wanted right, to point right. that out. I thought it was really interesting. So Ryan, what was the list again? Uh, stone, iron, amber, wood, and bone on one hand that were seen, and then he has the unseen on his other hand, which are blood in a flowing band, air all whisper thin, a ring of ice that had a flaw within. Full faintly shown the ring of flame, and a final ring was without name. Okay, so I wonder if, yeah, like every when when he masters the name of something, then he acquires mm -hmm. a ring, or he, he that's his uh, reminder of this thing that he's learned, uh, mm -hmm. something and the, like and that. And the thing that I thought was interesting is you have this kind of like almost nursery rhyme telling of all these different rings, right? And how they represent his power. Um, and you have this ring of bone. Again, I'm just making wild assumptions here. I don't know if the ring of bone that he received from Stapes is the same ring of bone that's mentioned here. But I like the idea that stories evolve and change and, and get blown out of proportion. And if rings mean he's a master of naming, he also happens to have this ring of bone. And like maybe that doesn't have anything to do with naming. and It doesn't have anything to do with his power. He just kept it. He just kept it, but... Because stories being the way that they are and people telling those stories, being willing to embellish upon those things, you know, the ring of bone isn't what it seems from the story. So if you want a little bit of depth on the bone, Elodin actually teaches quite a bit about it. Um, and he, there's a few small things that are done, like when Fella says the name of Stone, um, he says, left hand. The right means something else entirely. None of you are anywhere near ready for that. So there's something that matters in terms of which hand. And I wouldn't say Fela has mastered stone. It's it's a... And he says something about it being uh, small names leading to big names. Mm -hmm. So that's like maybe the left hand ring is the introduction to mm -hmm. congratulations. You can now... You now have entered into the realm of being able to call mm -hmm. upon the uh, on stone or whatever. But your mastery will come later with the that's, large name. That's super interesting, especially with the Tempe character, where he's starting to learn. Uh, is it a, what's the language that he's learning? Edemic. Edemic, and and he talks about the different hand gestures that they do for facial expressions, or sort of facial right. expressions. And there's a quite a long page of stuff where they where Tempe's telling him the difference between making a gesture with his left hand and making a gesture with his right hand. 
and how the left hand is closer to the heart and the right, like one means heart, one means strength. And, uh, just putting that together with the, the hand that you wear a ring on has a, there's a reason. There's there. a meaning. Yeah, I mean, so, I, don't, that... I don't know what the connection is, but just yeah. as you were talking, Ryan, I've remembered that whole learning the language thing, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Some people say that's why we do wedding bands on our left hand, right, in our culture. Yeah. But I don't know if that's actually true. Um, uh, what was it? Oh, can I backtrack? Are yeah. we good? Are no, we go good for me to backtrack uh, to yeah, something else? Um, you mentioned that you weren't a huge fan of the the uh the mayor alvaron chapters as far as the political stuff sure the kind of nation describing mm-hmm. in within the world building mm-hmm. uh i disagree i i yeah i really enjoyed I say, that that's, section. that's up your alley for sure yeah that was um what <laughs> up your something now <laughs> next seven up yours Anytime, so that that is something that i quite liked um and I'm not sure exactly why, except for what you're saying. Is it up my alley? Yes, because mm-hmm. I read just a ton about economics and politics in my free time. And so when I come across something like that, I'm always interested to see how authors are able to do with economics and politics in their work. Um, and this section, he didn't really get into a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vintas, he got more into the cultural um side of things mm-hmm. but uh but i did enjoy that i liked the ring bit um it made for some if nothing else it made for good flavor mm-hmm. uh with the bowl of rings and the conversations he had with chess master whatever his name was mm-hmm. bobby fisher um yeah so I, so i i don't have any deeper point no. other than that i enjoyed the chapters for that but i'll tell you what i didn't enjoy about the alvaron chapters and that was when Denna showed up again. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing. I don't dislike Denna as a character. I She's fine. I have no uh, huge complaints there or anything. But uh, this was our chance, and Quoth's chance, our chance to go on an adventure and just be alone and do something new and uh, whatever. And then one day he's riding those lifts and Denna shows up and... yeah. Here we are again. Because of course she does. And it's the same thing that he went through in uh, Imre with Mm -hmm. her. Where, you know, it's the same kind of hashing out the same uh, personality conflicts and uh, confluences. But they actually have a fight this time. But then we finally get to the fight and I'm like, oh, thank goodness something finally happened. (laughs) There were two things that finally happened with Denna. Uh, There was the fight and we'll get to that. The other thing was when he followed her. And she seemed to be saving some girl who was about to uh, prostitute herself on the street to disastrous consequences. And Denna kind of steps in, saves her, and uh, and tries to take care of her. We don't really have any more detail on that. Uh, but then, I don't know if it's the same chapter or the next chapter, they finally have it out. And he calls her all sorts of names, and she calls him all sorts of names. Uh, and obviously she's not gone forever but we can kind of wish that she was what do you guys think do we want denna to come back how do we want her to come back when do we want her to come back i i feel like every time she comes back it's because she's supposed to you know what i mean it's it's not driving the narrative forward it's oh we haven't seen denna in a while let's bring these crazy cats back together and then it everything denna kind of throws the story for me it 
things that are interesting start happening. He, he gets out of the university and he's doing things and he's learning things. And he's having these experiences. Then Denick shows up again. And all of a sudden, everything stops. She's a Stan uh, Lee cameo of every Marvel she film. Is, she is Patrick <laughs> Rothfuss's wet blanket. That every, uh, you, know, you might want to mm, rephrase that. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's the wet blanket character from every romantic comedy or from every sports movie, you know, where the coach is doing... Or you, can, he's or you can double down on the wet blanket. Dana, I'm going with the wet blanket. I feel like Dana's going to be the <laughs> she, driving motivation for Quoth to end up being the king killer killing, or killing doing whatever it is that yeah. he does. Because Dana is his motivation a lot of times. Mm-hmm. He basically puts everything else on the back burner when Dana shows up. And so she keeps showing up to just remind us how important she is to him. And it's infuriating a lot of the times because he... Self, you know, he admits to himself he makes decisions he maybe wouldn't normally make when it comes to Denna. And so I didn't really love that she showed up in Vintus either. I thought we were going to get at least part of the book where it would be, you know, and then they could have some kind of reunion when he came back. But uh, I do think that there's more to that relationship than we're seeing. Right. I think that her showing up there actually allows us and having the fight actually allows us to let quoth go out and provides i don't want to use the term closure but it's the closest thing that will work to what i'm trying to describe there it gives us enough closure to that story to let him go and do something without her showing up because he finally Mm -hmm. does yeah yeah and he that hasn't happened if he he just left and went to the mayor service and she was there it would always be this floating amorphous something right now we can say okay you know what she's she's a side story that we don't need to worry about until he comes back from wherever he's going. Except for I find myself more worried about her now because she's now crafted this song about Lanray. Mm-hmm. And Lanray, yeah. crafting a song about Lanray was the whole reason that the Chandrian showed up in the first place and killed Quoth's troop, right? And uh, whether and it's or not... something her patron is pushing for. Is exactly. Pushing for her so her patron, there is, I was, someone asked us to look into fan theories about things. And yeah. so... I know we'll deal with a lot of that later, but the discussion about her patron being Cinder. Yeah, I saw like, that one. If mm-hmm. I find that interesting. Like, I, I like that concept. The fact that she's writing the story about Lanray, especially if Cinder is the one who's pushing that, why would you be trying to... Have, and, especially when you killed someone else who wrote a perfectly good song about it. Well, like, well but it's interesting because the songs are very different because in, in Quo's father's song, Lanray isn't this hero but in in Dennis' song, he is. Remember, because well, Quoth... In every, altering your own story. In yeah. every Landray story, he's the villain, but in hers, she doesn't have the complete story. According to Quoth, yeah. she doesn't have the complete story, so she only sees him as the hero, which is an interesting question also. is like, what's wrong with him being the hero? What's wrong with ending the story before he becomes the villain? Is Landray trying to write his story the way that Quoth is telling his now, where he gets to write it the way from his perspective and yeah. that the, your villain isn't a villain as much as you think they are. He's just misunderstood. The mo- it's a Maleficent movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, gosh, that's awful. Could it Could it be, if it were, if her patron were Cinder, could it be a situation where he's trying to do, uh, trying to um, cause a, a political uprising in the, in the uh, Chandrian ranks? You know, he's trying to overthrow Haliax by creating the story, which Haliax is trying to, Keep quiet. I don't know. Maybe so. I don't remember exactly the fan theory, but it, the yeah, potentially there could be something like that. And going down fan theories is fun, and we can dedicate the an episode to that. But I just thought that that's a 
her patron, that mystery patron, was something that's just kind of it's been a it's been a recurring element to their story. Right. Um, but it hasn't been the main driving force of it. But now it's the thing that drives them apart. It's mm-hmm. yes. him saying, um, especially, and this is. Uh, I'm kind of jumping timeline a little bit in here when he talks to the Cathay um, in in the Fae and he tells her what she's going through and what happens there. Right. Like it makes it even worse for him. So, which is what he's been expecting. He's been uh, um, supposing all along is that she's getting beaten. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, we will come to the Cathay in just a moment. Let's go ahead and, and so after the fight, it like you said, it gives us enough at least temporary closure that now he can kind of go off and have his adventure. So he goes into the woods with five mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's four lead- mercenaries. Well, he's, okay, he's five. the fifth, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so he goes into the woods, four Let mercenaries. Let the d campaign commence. Exactly. Right. exactly. So <laughs> you've got your fighter, you've got your female fighter, your male fighter, and you've got your tracker, and you've got your, uh, you got your specialist, yep. and your wizard. Anyway, so they go off. Uh, this is... Uh, oof. I've played these chapters in Diablo too. They were fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these chapters were in some ways better because, yeah, he is finally on his own. He is finally doing something out, out and about, uh, not in the palace. Um, but in other ways, they were kind of interminable. Um, I was really, really ready for them to be done when they were, and I maybe that was on purpose. Because uh, Quoth yeah. is running through the woods and he's tired and he's miserable and he's wet and he just wants to get out of here. And yeah. so it could be that this is on purpose, making us feel that way as well so that we can kind of uh, feel what Quoth is feeling. But either right. way, I, I didn't love all of this stuff, but he does start to learn about uh, the ADEM culture through Tempe. Um, we do get some ridiculous, ridiculous accents from Nick Podell <laughs> on the audiobook. Um, and, uh, and then at the end of it, we finally have the confrontation where both lets his wizard out. Um, and we find out later that it is in fact Cinder leading the mercenaries for reasons unknown. This makes zero sense to me at this point. Right. Um, why he would be leading a bunch of road bandits in the middle of nowhere, whatever, uh, you know. The, the ways of Cinder are mysterious to man, I suppose. So so this happens. Did you enjoy... Is anybody Does anybody want to take me on as far as the this is kind of boring? Um, or do we want to push on to the actual battle? I, uh, arguing a subjective opinion on right, that is... Right. I don't really want to take you on and say, no, it's great writing, but I actually really enjoyed this I didn't section. say it was bad writing. Okay. Yes. I, I just said I was bored um, yes. and wanted it to be over. I, I enjoyed it uh, because it was it was a breath of fresh air, and I actually... So to speak, in the woods. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, for me, this was also... A, it was nice to see Quoth in a leadership position. Um, he's always been kind of behind the scenes, the... He's a leader among his friends, but the he's string not, puller. But this this time it's actually like legitimately I'm giving you the authority to do this. Yeah. To take that authority with these mercenaries who didn't take him seriously at first. Um I I liked I liked his interaction with them and, and the way that that was handled in terms of taking ownership of his leadership and knowing that that's something that he has to develop further. Uh 
I, I wish I remember more. There's there's one, um, there's a, a few like little quotes inside that section that actually I liked a lot uh, because he's having now to deal with people who who view what he does as, I don't know if it's wrong or just it makes them very uncomfortable. Um, versus well, they're, when, they're a very superstitious lot. And he... Yes. And, and that's where we're finally getting the example of, okay, we've been talking for a book and a half now about how everybody's superstitious. Well, now we're finally getting to see it. Yeah, because we've in, been in around practical the other who are learning how to be yeah, Who are all used to, exactly. Um, but one of my favorites here was, uh, this is, uh, Quoth is working... He's trying to set up a little sympathy alarm system uh, that he can give to the tracker. Um, right. Oh, the stick. The yeah. stick Sticks. that flicks. And the guy's like freaking out about the stick and he, uh, Martin, the tracker. And so Quoth picks up the stick and he says that he handed it, handling it with deliberate casualness as if it were nothing more than an ordinary stick. Of course, it was nothing more than an ordinary stick, but Martin needed to be reassured as to that point. It's like, it's like Tecum said, nothing in the world is harder than convincing someone of an unfamiliar truth. I love that that closing line there, I which thought, is universally true. Oh man, do we want to get into that bit of philosophy? I, when you feel strong enough to say something is a truth, and you're trying to convince someone who is not familiar with it or who disagrees with it, it is one of the hardest things to do. Both because it, it's a person, it feels like a personal connection to what it is, and it can be something as simple as what we try and do on the podcast to show that there is value in fantasy literature and a real world scenarios. Right. Like, yeah. There are people who do not believe that, and it is frustrating because to them, it, they aren't, they don't either connect or they're not willing to try, or for whatever reason, it's not, it doesn't read with them that way. And it's really frustrating to feel lesser sometimes because someone else can't see that or understand it or to, like that frustration. Yeah. So I don't know. It, that resonated with me a lot. Uh, the idea of trying to share a truth. Or something that we feel is the truth and not being able to and having to deal with that unfamiliarity. Oof. If we had uh if we'd prepared for this point, now would be the time when we would all list the thing that we would want to convince everybody else of if we could, you know. <laughs> the offside uh. rule is fine in soccer. <laughs> the offside rule is also called the no fun rule. Uh okay. There was another interesting one in there that he his story of of the boy in the screw, the belly button screw. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's he, the little boy with the the belly button screw, and he doesn't know what it's for until they they screw it and his butt falls off. Which is yeah. totally not a Rothfuss original. No, no. This is a story I heard from my dad when I was like six. Oh, oh. okay. So it's probably uh, one of so those little like, things that float around scout it's one camps of, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's one of those like folklore whatever. And I I love that he included it because I think. I think it's a funny story and it was really funny for me to read that. Like, wait, what? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But anyways, it, it led to his realization of something that we probably realized, you know, last episode in the book is Martin was calling him out saying, you're tricking them. You're making fun of them. That's not cool. And he says, no, it's a, it's a puzzle. And the answers that we, oh, here's the quote. It says, it's the questions we can't answer that teach us the most. They teach us how to think. If you give a man an answer, all he gains is a little fact. But give him a question, and he'll look for his own answers. And then he comes to the realization, that's what Elodin was doing the entire last semester when I was calling him worthless and saying this class is stupid. Mm -hmm. 
and and all four of us probably got it. It was like, um, you're supposed to think of these abstract concepts. And now he finally realizes that. And I think that leads to all of the naming and stuff later. That makes me wonder about uh, some of the teachers that I've had and, and uh, how some of the best teachers are the most eccentric and difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. And really, it's... I wonder if it might be a mistake of teaching to try to get to the lowest common denominator so that everyone can learn something. Uh, But really what you're doing is uh, you may be teaching everybody a little bit, but you're holding back a lot of people from learning a lot of things. Um, And so if you do something the way that Elodin, if you try to teach something the way that Elodin is doing, it'll pass over the heads of most of your students uh, but the people who are ready to learn something, who are supposed to learn something, who are able to learn something, will be able to latch on, and perhaps that's more valuable. I don't know. I'm not ready to plant my flag in saying that this is the best way to do it. Uh, but it is an interesting way to think about, um, I, you know, not trying to coddle a group of students, whatever, yeah. whatever that, whatever form that takes in your life, you know, you may not be a school teacher or something, but uh, whatever form that takes, it's something to think about. We don't want to get into a, a, a discussion about the, you know, merits of standardized education or anything like that. I'm sure, but oh, I do. Well, not, <laughs> but not here, probably. But although I will say there is, a, I think there is a time and place for both. I mean, there, are, there is information, especially fact-based information, where you can say, okay, everybody, here it is blanket way to teach this information and then there's information where a different tack a more abstract tack is important or is is the better way to teach and i think the the key to a good educator is to know when to use either teaching method yeah yeah we could ask a pose a philosophical question for people to answer out there because personally i value very much those people and instances instances in my life that have taught me to think critically and to learn and to learn how to learn things and, and study and things like that has mattered. That's allowed me to get the other information I need in life. And, and I've never really, f- I don't generally feel helpless in life because I always know how I can approach a problem. Generally speaking, I know where to start sure. to figure things out. Um, but if you could only teach someone a basic set of like, this is how things work for survival purposes, like this is what you need there, versus you can only teach them how to think, which is more important to to cover? Hmm. That's a good question. There's your philosophy question. <laughs> Tell us what you think on Reddit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Speaking of Reddit, maybe we should get to some of our Reddit questions because we did get quite a few good ones. Um, and thank you to everybody who participated. If we end up not getting to a couple, I apologize, but I'll, I'll try to get to as many as I can. Um, before we get there, there's the question that dominates that that should dominate this entire discussion. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but speaking of philosophical questions, what do you think? This comes from Connor Jade on uh, on Reddit. What do you think of the mayor's discussion on power? Is the ability to command the greatest of power or the greater of the two that he discusses? So essentially he's setting up the question of, is it better to be powerful yourself or is it better to be um, powerful in that you can command the actions and loyalties of others? Um, 
And so he sets it up at, you know, Quoth says, well, I can learn skills and I can constantly can't be taken away from me. Yeah. And I can constantly improve myself. And the mayor counters with, well, sure, but I don't need to learn those skills if I can command other people to do it. And if I have that power to command, then I essentially have the skills and the, the abilities and the resources of an entire, uh, you know, could be a small group, could be an entire nation at my disposal. So which is the greater power? I think it's a, an interesting question. I don't know what the applicability of it is in daily life, um, but it is something to consider. I it, Maybe it would be applicable in do you... In the the idea of do you try to develop your own personal skills or go into management, you know, which is the more fruitful path to take in a professional setting, something like that. I, I don't know. Um, but I thought it was an interesting question, regardless of what the implications, the real world implications might be. Uh, Ryan, you're looking very pensive. Um, recently in the series I'm working through right now, uh, they there's a one-liner that caught me really quick that it was someone saying that power is the ability to enact your will upon the world, like to, to have your will carried out. Right. Um, and either based on our discussion here, whether or not you do that yourself or have someone else do it through your, your um, jingle. Honestly, I don't think this is a philosophical question for a reason is because there isn't a right answer to it. It's based on your, end goals if your desire is to build something you is it is it more right for you to build it yourself or to have hired someone to build it which is a greater exercise of your power like right i don't know i personally i i tend to want to be capable of doing things myself and so i would lean more towards the side of power being personal yeah strength but for the first couple years of a zombie apocalypse i'll take the first kind of power knowing no you like knowing stuff and being able to do it myself mm -hmm. that's the greater power event eventually when civilization restores itself hopefully then maybe there's an argument to be made for the second type my plan is already to lead a pirate band a pirate band like a pirate just are you gonna a rating band are you going to uh require that everyone speak in pirates no, no, no. We'll come up with our own <laughs> slang and vernacular. But Brookman's sure. Raiders. All right. So <laughs> let's let's uh, move on. I know oh. food storage in the valley. I'm, that's I'm raiding food storage. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm pulling up in a Costco, man. Uh, Connor Jade. By the way, this is the second thing uh, we've already kind of talked about. Whether the I guess it's the road to Levenshire. Mm -hmm. Is that the name of the, mm -hmm. the where they're kind of doing the woodsy thing? Um, we've already talked about the question, which was whether it worked for us, um, but. Apparently, Connor Jade says that the road to Levenshire was initially conceived as a standalone, um, as its own little story, which I guess makes some sense now that mm -hmm. I think about it. Uh, but I didn't know that. I'd, I'd be curious to see a source on that. So once again, go to Reddit. Give us a source on that. Um, okay. Now uh, we've got to get to Fulurian. I was wondering how long <sighs> it was going to take four white guys in a room to start being willing to talk about sex. Well... We we don't have Being. a problem with that. We don't have a problem with that. Ken may have a problem <laughs> eh, with whatever. this. He said sex, sex in the last episode. That's like, true. Without... I and I I just said it right now. Definitely too. noticed it. 
I'm um, being four white guys in a room. I'm surprised. I'm surprised it took us this long to get to sex. Well, yeah, it won't take, take us long now that we're there. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Well done. Bravo. Uh, okay. So, uh, Roger Copernicus asks too much fairy sex or not enough? Well, <laughs> Roger Copernicus, we tend to stay away from antiquated gay slurs on this podcast. So you can take them <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> um, now, as for the actual question, so he, all right, so let's get into the, the, the Felurian stuff. So he uh, sees Felurian in the woods with the rest. Uh, they're, they're done with their little adventure in the woods. They're going back to the mayor's they're estate. Back to turn in their quest. And uh, that's right. They're going to turn in their quest sheets. And uh, and they see Felurian in the woods. And she's bathing naked. And she's so alluring. And, and all the men are, are kind of crawling after her. And Hespa's grabbing Daydan and and uh, all, all this stuff. And, and Quoth is just like, hold my beer. <laughs> and he runs after her. And uh, he says, oh, I'll meet you in three days meet, at, yeah. the, at the inn. Um, it's my favorite. Thing. I'll take one for the team on this one, guys. Like, thanks. <laughs> so be cool, guys. I'll catch up. So he runs after her, catches her, and they do it in the moss. And then she takes him to the Fey realm, and there they proceed to. Is that what it's called these days? What she takes him to the Fey realm. Takes, takes him to him the, the Fey realm. Yep. Over and over. <laughs> uh, they, but they they basically just have sex for like months. It sounds like several months they're they're doing it and there are a lot of questions about this scene or this or this uh, setting um the first one that i want to get to is the less uh the less sexual part of it which is the the kind of showdown that they have um she is this fairy creature that has this hold over human men and uh she just kind of exudes this power and besides that she's just she's a fairy creature and so she has certain magical powers uh, now, uh, Quoth is trying to exert his own power, uh, you know, maintain his individuality and, you know, maintain his sanity essentially. And so he ends up, uh, having this showdown with her and calls, he gets out he using negs. What's that? He gets out using negs. I'm sorry. He gets out using negs. negs I mean, are, I heard the yes. word you said, but I don't know what you're talking <laughs> it's about. It's a TV. I, I don't know if it's, uh, it's multiple comedy series of views or whatever but it's the idea of a negative like you toss tossing like you know most girls can't pull off you know oh yeah yeah mop hair but you do it great or something where it's a negative compliment oh and I so see. he kind of does that to Faluri, and he's like yeah having sex with you is nice it's been a real pleasure or whatever and she's like what nice yeah. and i'm like oh really this is okay this is how he's gonna get out is by inciting insulting her, her insulting her and her using her jealous rage like you know, I'm not going to, I, honey, I am not going to know that you're the best one out there in terms of sex until I go and sleep with these other women. Go use that argument anywhere. In <laughs> see like, how that works for you. See but, how that flies. But when you use it on the fey goddess of sex, she's going to be like, well, that makes sense. Well, yeah. it, it, we'll get to her character in just a moment. Um, there, There's another question that, uh, that came up later about uh, Bomb Tombadil asks about the Mary Sue thing again. He says, this is where it kind of starts to bother me. Um, Kvothe is just good at everything all the time. He says, it didn't bother me up to this point, and I know it didn't bother you guys up to this point, but how do you feel now? So this is kind of the moment where that really happens, where Kvothe, with no... Uh, 
with nothing besides narrative need is able to subdue a fairy creature by understanding her name instantly um, in this moment. Now, I didn't have a huge problem with that. Um, I don't even know if I had a very small problem with that. But uh, but it was something that I noticed and, and I kind of went, oh, okay, that's probably like, that's what people are talking about. I was okay with it um, simply because... I, they have been spending this last period of time together in very intimate, and I'm not just talking sex, but just a very intimate connection with each other. Sure, sure. And that, I, that's what to me justified him being able to know her well enough to name her. Like time is passing in a different scale here. And so I don't really have a good gauge as to how long he has spent with her. Uh, but spending that much time and being intimate with her for that long and being open and, and things allows, I, it makes it sense to me that he's able to, in that moment, n- name her enough to, to get what, she, what he needs. Right, right. Just like a typical guy, he'll say it was longer than it was. <laughs> so um, there was another question uh, about the Florian stuff, and I'm, I'm kind of flying through it now because we're running out of time. Uh, but... Uh, Andrea SN2 on Reddit asks, shall we go straight to the rape? Was both <laughs> technically raped by Felurian? He ended up enjoying his time there, but most people don't survive and he wasn't exactly asked for consent because Felurian seems to emanate some kind of love spell around her, which messes with their minds. Um, like you wouldn't say that sex was consensual if someone had slipped a drug in your beer and then convinced drugged you to have sex. Um, so... It, it, this is something that I see come up a lot in the uh, Rothfuss subreddits and kind of in various places online that this is a very problematic section of the book, et cetera, et cetera. And it, you know, if you want to say that it's annoying, uh, that's fine. If you want to say that you don't really care for his depiction of sex, that's fine. Uh, but I don't know if I buy the rape thing just because uh, it takes not only the action, but the intent and he goes to some pain to describe how, as both is understanding her name, he comes to understand that she is, in in many ways that humans would think of, she's very childlike. She doesn't, she acts up by instinct more than anything else. You know, she... Um, by nature. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the nature of what she does, and she doesn't understand any other way. So a, a lot of the agency that... Um, that human beings possess and that makes us capable of doing something as heinous as rape. She doesn't possess those faculties. And so that's where I kind of come down on the question of whether this is a quote unquote problematic section of the book. Uh, But I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. What say you? I'm curious. I, I'm curious if the argument, some, if the argument is that this is in any way condoning rape, if people are feeling like that, that, because I don't think that's the case, even if you do classify it as it, like technically saying that both never gave consent or any of that, well, he took it off and said, hold my beer type thing. Right. Like, and I, please, I, I, this is incredibly dangerous ground to trod, like the, with the whole consent issue and things like that. But I think that, um, I, I don't think in any way that Rothfuss in this writing is condoning saying this is okay. Like it, it's a, 
oh he's a dude he'll enjoy it anyway don't worry about it yeah i don't think that's what's right what's being said here um but if any like i'm glad that that's being noticed because if it's some if it's something that just breezes past then yeah, it, it, it could be more. Pro- it could be more troubling if people didn't notice it at all. Yeah, if it's just um, oh yeah, that's fine. Then yeah, at least you notice it, and that means that that awareness is there, and you can have that discussion as to that's probably not okay. Right, like, kind of reminds me of our discussions of the Wheel of Time. So, spoiler: if you haven't made it to about book eight to ten or so think, of yeah. Wheel of Time, but there's the uh, the situation with Matt and Tylen. Um, and we talked about this during those episodes where mm-hmm. that one, I would say, is more legitimately yeah. troubling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just because of kind of what I talked about, not only is the action there, but the intent and the comprehension is there. Uh, she's basically an awful person. Uh, but the way that Robert Jordan wrote that situation was basically yeah but he's a dude and he likes getting laid so it's all good right Right. and then he's gonna fall in love with her because getting laid um so that one i felt was was a more legitimate complaint than this one um yeah but uh but the thing is even with all that being said if somebody's gonna you know if somebody's gonna say that they didn't like this section for that reason I'm, i'm not really gonna fight too hard on that that's that's okay. fine. No, that's so. Uh, anyway, other any other Felurian thoughts? I'm I'm more offended by the blatant Odysseus ripoff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the uh, sirens. I'm oh, just kidding. Sure. It's 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 a it's a common thing. It's not a ripoff at, at all. But there were some there were some interesting uh, Greek mythology attachments to it in in terms of that. Uh, you know, the siren beguiling the. Anyway. Aside from making him a Kama Sutra master. Um, she also gave him something else that's kind of a big deal. The cloak. The cloak. cloak. The like, shade. The shade, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the making of that, I actually, one of my favorite things about that was, she because she makes that for him once, she knows he's leaving. And it's actually made, and it's a very taxing thing on her to make it. It's not like, <laughs> poof, magic, here you go, here's a cool cloak I've got for you. Right, like, she pours herself into it. She's moving, and it showcases that that she cares and she's developed something for this pet of hers, which is the way she still views him. It's not like they're equals by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But I really, I think the invisibility cloak is a very common piece in fantasy literature. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to see how Quoth uses this, this cloak. Cause it's not, it's not invisibility, but it, the the interesting thing so far to me about the cloak is that when he, gets it I, I apologize i've read a little bit further ahead but um it doesn't seem to have the same properties in the real world as it does in the fey world because mm-hmm. uh, every once in a while somebody will see it uh or or at least see it maybe touch it and handle it and they don't seem to remark on it being anything that special as all well, with this cloak i'll be interested to see if he does anything with it that um that will make it fay again. Uh, but yeah. I expect it'll do something fancy. I was wondering if this is similar to Taverlin the Great's cloak of no particular color. Yeah. So is that... Did, oh, there you go. Nice. Did he have the same thing? Is this his Taverlin cloak? That's a good connection. I don't know. 
Uh, last thing I want to touch on is uh, the last thing that happens before he leaves Valorian, and that's the conversation with the Cthay. Um, it's creepy, and it's uh, it serves a narrative purpose in giving us it. You know, again, wow, hey, Kyle, you should be really proud of me. I'm about about to go back to Wheel of Time again. <laughs> The wheel I of told time, you, man. <laughs> wheel of time is there are no constantly or endings. It's constantly dealing with uh, prophecies, and the prophecies from many, many, many characters, and they're all meant to kind of give you something to look forward to. It's all foreshadowing and uh, make you interested in what's going to happen in the future of this story, and that is the function of the Kthay, at least narratively. Um, and as such, he performs admirably. But the little conversation, the session is very short-lived. Uh, the more important or the more interesting aspect of this is during the interlude when Bast freaks out about Quill's conversation with the Cthay. And he, Kyle, what, is, what does he say? Just I don't remember. I'm actually not that far yet. Oh, that's right. So you haven't quite gotten there. According to Bast, this is the guy that even the Fae are afraid of. Right. He's, he is the phase Chandrian, basically. He's, he, you know, he's the I, boogeyman that keeps that keeps Fey kids up at night. I don't know about that though, because Quoth was asking Valurian about the Chandrian, and she said she wouldn't talk to him about yeah. the Chandrian. Right. So right. even the even for the Fey, the Chandrian or the yeah. Chandrian. But yeah, but I, the, that's, yeah, I, I think it's more apt, like you said, Ken, to say that uh, he's like their boogeyman. Yeah. yeah. Um and. <sighs> I have a, a hard time taking Bast at his word on this one. He seems to embellish a lot. Well, I'm just I so well no, I, I maybe I should rephrase that. It's not that I think Bast is lying. I'm just not sure that he's the most reliable person to talk about. Uh Bast seems to be he exhibits a lot of childlike qualities um in his personality, and it makes me wonder if he has a view of the Kthay that was fed to him by, I don't know if the Fae have parents, but you know, the equivalent of that where he's given these stories, you never go to the Kthay because this and that terrible thing happens and he sets loose evil upon the world. And if you ever go there, nothing you do will kill you. Yeah, the guardians of the Fae will kill you. And if you do manage to get there, nothing you do will ever be right again you'll destroy the world because that's what he does um and it so this sounds more to me like that they is not as powerful or as uh whatever as, as bast is pointing or as painting him to be but is more of a fey fairy tale so mm-hmm. to speak um and that we'll find out that his story is more nuanced his capabilities are more nuanced than what bast has led on and so i, I feel like this may be a bit of a red herring on roth's part um, is bast the love child of quoth and florian oh sweet <laughs> yeah i wondered about that question too it came up somewhere oh i don't know mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't see it come up anywhere it, I was just question, it actually came up on a, on a reddit thread um, if he was the love child of bast of of quoth and, and florian uh, or or even if he's not Kavoth's child, if he, what's his connection to Florian? Uh, and back to your original point about the Cathay not being like being more nuanced. I'll agree to the more nuanced part, but I think that the Cathay is every bit as 
dangerous as they've been made out to be because we have also in other moments been told stories in the past the story of Jack's the story of Lan Ray things like that mm -hmm. that when we come back later they say they spoke to the Cathay before these things happened right and so if we say that well Bass is that well technically every story has been tweaked by that that maybe, same thing maybe yeah. but the but um we don't know if that's actually true. That's just according to one character's understanding of events. Um, and we don't know if they actually did talk to the Cathay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, this is a big it, point it with this be, series, like the whole the reliable narrator. Yeah, exactly. And at a certain point, you have to just start saying, okay, I'm going to buy it. Because if you do, if you take everything in this story as well, I can't trust the narrator. Why the hell are then, you reading yeah, then this you book? You lose everything exactly. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've agreed with that sentiment in past episodes, and so I'm largely with you. But I'm not. That doesn't mean that I have to take everything every character says at face value at all times. No, no, and I'm not arguing that point. I'm saying with, what is it about this one that makes it worth noting as? This is probably not the well, entire truth. Why the Rothfuss is trying to mislead me here? Because if he's trying, because if, okay, so I'll tell you why. Two reasons. First of all, it would ruin the entire story. the 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 story is over if that's true. There's nothing left to tell. How so? Because everything that Quoth does is going to turn to garbage, and there won't be anything worth reading. Because, uh, or it becomes about how he beats that curse well but then the curse isn't real then it's so it's not the same thing as the Kthay is all-powerful and unleashes evil upon the world if he utters one word to you so it's again we're getting away from the exact thing that Bast said it's not exactly what Bast said the other thing that makes this um uh, more of a live question than whether Quoth is a reliable narrator is that this it, it, this conversation happens within the frame story so it's not both telling his own story and we're wondering how much he's embellishing or not it's happening within the frame story where as as written by Rothfuss this is uh, there is no embellishment this isn't part of quote unquote the story this is just characters actually speaking we, we're getting the entire conversation as it happens not through some other characters lens it's so that makes it's a little consistent perspective yeah well but it's consistent when it is inside the story because Falurian has the same response sure. when he comes back and so Quoth tells that and then Bast reinforces it which to me is even a greater signal that there is more truth to this than we are right now willing to give it that maybe maybe and but again this is what makes it an interesting question um yeah. I I'll put down my flag on I don't think he's as dangerous as Bast is leading us to believe um, and you can say that he is and then I'll laugh at you later that's fine no, I can do that I, I'll, I'll go ahead and put I'm, my flag on that one that the Cathay is is more is super dangerous I'm, I'm personally of the opinion right now that he's every bit as sinister as as he's being made out to be but I don't know that why it matters does he come back? Does he do you something? You don't know why it matters? I, I don't know why it matters in the grand scheme. I, I mean, he comes with him now. He shows him these bad things that 
you know, are, are probably true because he deals in truth such that it, you know, feeds his deception. But now he's talked to Kavoth and Kavoth moves on and the end, okay. you know. So Ken, we'll, Ken doesn't see why the cafe matters. So I didn't say I didn't see why it matters in the immediate, but in the long term, I'm not sure. I mean, show me, show me why it matters. If every decision you make has been altered by that one moment, that one moment matters. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Show me. Wait, wait, what I'm hoping. Oh uh, wow, Ken. Okay. Uh, here's another interesting. I know we're we're getting close to time, but Cathay wouldn't say uh, that the name of the Chandrian either. He and Florian both call him the Seven. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think he's the mo- like the ultimate end all power. But if you I have the power so. to see all futures and can manipulate something and say exactly the amount of truth or the amount of light, whatever you need to say to make things go the way you want. That is a very, very powerful character, and I didn't say any interaction, powerful. any interaction with that there, then does potentially alter a trajectory, right? And so the question is then, if you have been touched by that and this, how do you break this path that you are set on? Those, those aren't any of my arguments. I understand all of that. I'm saying, show me now. Okay, now we've seen this. Now show me. Let's continue the story. Are you talking to us or Rothfuss? Rothfuss. I'm talking to Patrick Rothfuss. Show me now. You know? Well, yeah. So, if there's one see thing we matters. know about Patrick Rothfuss's writing style, it's that he doesn't give a it's shit the, yeah. what you he's, have he's to say. He's never going to show me. Um, <laughs> you can ask him all you want. <laughs> so, all right, let's call it uh, and and leave there. So, like I mentioned at the beginning, at this point, uh, what's his name? Quoth. He's going to go off and hang out with the Adem in Ademre. Is Ademre the? The Adem are the people. Ademre mm-hmm. is the country. So he's going to go to Ademre and hang out with the Adem. That should be interesting. From what we know of Nick Podell's uh, uh, <laughs> accenting for the Adem, this should be a that lot of fun. fun. So let's go there. At the end of uh, the next episode, it'll be the end of book two. We will discuss all the way to the end of book two. Um, and then we will do another episode. We've kind of teased this a little bit on Reddit. We've mentioned it to a few people. Count on a f- a seventh episode for uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah. Essentially, what we're going to do is kind of talk about fan reactions, uh, fan theories, that sort of thing. Kind of the, the conversations surrounding the book, because I think there's a lot to be said there. Um, so we won't get to that in the next episode. That'll be in the future. Uh, to those of you who want to ask, I'll just answer you now. Will we do slow regard of silent things? I'm sure we will. Um, and then there's the other one, the other, the Bast short story. I'm sure we will. Maybe we'll do both of those in the same episode. Um, so yes, we will talk about those. I guess that would make it eight Rothfuss episodes. Um, so I don't know exactly when we'll get to those, but we will. And uh, Reddit. Facebook. I was going to say, Twitter, next, next up is uh, Gentleman Bastard, right? Gentleman so if Bastard. People, if people up. finish uh, Wise Man's Fear and they're waiting for the episode to come That's out, right. they can get started on the next one. So That should be interesting. Um, yes, Gentleman Bastard, we don't know exactly who is going to be on the panel for that, but uh, we know who's going to be listening, and that's you, everybody. So uh, I guess that's it. And uh, support us on Patreon. Search The Legendarium and you'll find us easily. And am I forgetting anything? Am I trying forgetting to remember what's big? coming up. What, what's coming up next? Um, I do have, by the way, I have a, a 
hard copy of The Name of the Wind to give away. I, I'm thinking of doing a, a legendary edition of that. We can all sign it and give it away. Uh, but I'll come up with some rules for the next episode, and then we'll announce a winner maybe in that, that seventh episode. So be on the lookout for that. We'll do a little uh, giveaway, and that should do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you at thelegendarium.reddit.com for the post-episode discussion. This is one that I would like to see plenty of participation in, especially around the Felurian stuff um, and the Cathay stuff. Uh, if you get really into the weeds, you'll lose me, but that's fine. Other people will follow along. So, uh, so we'll see you there. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.